When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Simzak. Welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast, where we go back today for 1986 Part 2. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Zinzak. How's it going, man? Crazy as hell, but doing all right otherwise. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. good. I'm excited for Part 2 today. We had fun with Part 1 last week. Yeah, man. And uh, we're going to keep it going today. Yep, it's been, uh, it's always fun looking back on a year in review, and these are some of our more popular episodes, you know, because nobody likes anything more than nostalgia, right? Right, you know, and it's cool for us because we get to do the research, and I found out all kinds of things that I didn't know back in 1986. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cool. So we'll review some of that stuff and reveal some cool things for you today. Yep. Let's uh, get our business out of the way first, though. We have to uh, do our Geek of the Week this week. Yeah, can't start the show without Geek of the Week. And this week's Geek of the Week is Chris Jackson. Uh, A week or so ago when we announced we were going to do 1986, Chris Jackson was one of the first guys to respond, talking about synthesizers and how, you know, talking about how great it was a time for thrash music and how, you know, the other kind of rock that was popular at the time was really being dominated by synthesizers. Yeah, and saying how where the old guards seem to have trouble adapting to the latest trends. And we'll definitely get into that as as the show goes on. Right, and as we did last week, you know, we found how, you know, 1986 was big on the Casios, baby. Yep, keyboards were in. Yeah, but so Chris Jackson from uh, Brantford, Ontario. Nice. Thanks for uh, chiming in. And that's how it's done, folks. Just... uh, Join the conversation on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash decibelgeek, and you yeah, can be Geek of the Week, too. You know, don't forget to always check out our, our archives, because uh, Chris Jackson, you might really enjoy the hoser takeover a oh, yeah, while back. Oh, yeah, the hostile hoser hijack yeah, That's episode. what it was. Yeah, Triple I you, H. I think you'd enjoy that one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we've done a lot of stuff relating to Canada and uh, gotten turned on to a lot of good Canadian music, yeah, as you'll sure. also hear in this That's episode. Good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, um, so I guess we need to go ahead and uh, fire up the flux capacitor. Are you ready? Fire it up. Here we come. 1986, part two. All right, here we are. 1986, part two. We're gonna have a good time today. Guess what? Uh, you get the first pick. Well, let me go over a couple of. Uh, Facts from 1986. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Give me some It's interesting to look back and see how things have changed with inflation. Average oh. income per year in 1986, $22,400. That's what I make now. But um, <laughs> uh, average monthly rent, $385. I sure as hell would love to pay that. Yeah, no kidding. Average price for a new car, $92.55. Not bad. Pretty cheap. Not bad. Casio portable color television, $249. 
Remember the portable televisions? Yes, the I do. Little black and white ones? Yeah, you just add the little handle on the back of it, you carry it around. A Tandy 600 portable computer was $1,599. Wow. And the most important stat of 1986, bacon was $1.75 a pound. I'm ready to go back. I know. I'm ready to go back right now, not just for the bacon, but for some kick-ass music as well. Yeah, definitely. And, um... You know, We're going to kind of kick things off today with like the Kiss trifecta. Yeah, and Kiss didn't re- even release an album in 1986, but this we're going to start off with three tracks relating to Kiss. That's right. So like I said, I was all excited. I jumped the gun. Yes, you do have the first pick. and <laughs> It's our old friend, Vinnie Vincent. Well, you can't t- discuss 1986 without talking about the Vinnie Vincent Invasion self-titled debut album. Great album. As our friend uh, Robert Fleischman, who sang on this album, told us in the, the interview that I did with him, that it, this album he equated to, it's like the musical equivalent to throwing a bunch of paint onto a canvas. Yeah. Which is really what it was. Like, it was just a, it was a loud, rude, aggressive album. Not heavy, but just obnoxious and over the top. But that's what that's I like sure. about it. <laughs> and I like it. Vinny is definitely not for everyone's taste, and uh, his playing is pretty frantic. Yeah. And um, But it shows what an amazing guitar player the guy is. Yeah. This was released on August 2nd, 1986 uh, on Chrysalis Records. Uh, it peaked at number 64 on the Billboard Pop Album Chart, sold over 400,000 copies. Not bad. Pretty. That would be huge today if it yeah, happened. Yeah, it would. Um, was listed number eight on Kerrang's list of hard rock albums in 86. And... Um, the same magazine also listed the album number 100 on the 100 greatest heavy metal albums of all time. So it made the cut. Some high praise. Yeah. And um, as everyone knows, and I'm not going to go through all the details, but Robert Fleischman sang on the album. Right. And uh, Mark Slaughter mimicked on the videos. In the videos, yeah. That's or the right. video. They only made one video for the Boys Are Gonna Rock single. Oh, yeah. But uh, I love this album. It's one of my favorites from the 80s. So um, I like it, too. Play then, some. All right, I'm going to play um, what is Robert Fleischman himself, who he told me himself this is his favorite track from the album. This is Do You Want to Make Love? Wow. I had to play the solo. Oh, wow. What a solo. <laughs> I love Vinnie that Vincent. solo. Now that, and I know it sounded chaotic, but there was some structure to that. Yeah, you know, I it's it's definitely 86-style music, that's yeah. for sure. And there's a lot of that going on. Talking about other former Kiss guitarists releasing music in 1986, Mark St. John, the mm-hmm. guitarist from Animal Lies. His band, White Tiger, comes out with their self de- uh, self-titled debut. He's got his brother, Mike Norton, on bass. That was his uh, Kiss guitar tech while he was in Kiss. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. And uh, David Donato on vocals. I, maybe not a lot of people know about David Donato, but pretty interesting. He worked with Tony Iommi on demos in 84, 
and that never came together. You know, we, we, we talked about Iomi's release on part one yeah. and how that band came together. But somewhere out there, there's a recording session with Donato Iommi, Geezer Butler, and Bill Ward that was produced by Bob Ezra. Yeah, I remember hearing about the Donato like possibly being a Sabbath singer. Yeah, but it's like somehow it never worked out, yeah. and he, he ended up from those tapes getting the attention of Mark St. John and came out with White Tiger. Hmm. Here's a sample of that off their. Uh, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be one of them days. Those words huh? get in the way sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, Self-titled debut, this is a tune called Runaway. Yeah, White Tiger's hmm. only album in 1986. That's that's it. No more White Tiger. Just one and done. I think it's because of the vocals. Yeah, I don't know. He kind of <laughs> sound like Lizzie Borden a little bit. I think. Yeah, just uh, uh, a little you know, phony sounding to me. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the thing in the 80s. There was a lot of that going on. The strange thing about it is they were on. Uh, they got signed to EMC Records. You know, and you think about 86, you think about Geffen, you think about, you know, Capital, everybody snatching up all these new hard rock bands. Yeah. EMC was actually known more for jazz and world music. I've so I've never even heard of yeah, EMC that was Yeah, that was a strange thing. So I do remember the album. It was like some weird record label yeah. stab at trying to grab a rock band and get a big hit. Yeah. Not I, happening with White Tiger. Yeah, I remember it coming out, but I, I didn't pay any attention to it either. But actually, that was better than I expected. I mean, the guitar yeah. playing's really good on that, yeah, too. Yeah, well, of course. It's Mark St. John. Yeah, good player. Talked about two former KISS guitarists. Now we can actually talk about a future KISS guitarist in 1986. Talking about the band Black and Blue, of course, talking about Tommy Thayer. Yeah, and I was talking to Wally, our head writer, the other night that you know that we were putting our song picks together. Yeah. And he was like, well, you're going to pick Black and Blue, right? And I'm like, no. And um, <laughs> he's like, oh, come on, that's a great album. And I, I said... To you, it's a great album. To me, it's mediocre schlock. Right, and I, I never kinda, liked. And when this you band. and I discussed it, I said, "Well, if we're going to do, you know, Vinnie Vincent and Mark St. John, we should do the trifecta and throw Tommy <laughs> Thayer in." And he's like, "Well, you can pick a pick a black and blue yeah. song if you want." And I was like, "Well, I wasn't going to, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't think, think either of us think, really like them. I think we should, you know." And uh, I wasn't a big fan of Black and Blue. This is their third album on Geffen. It comes out in '86. Yeah, this band was pushed hard by Geffen. Yeah, well, Gene Simmons was behind him. He produced it. Right, he produced this album. He uh, took every, uh, produced every song except for one, which was produced by the Journey keyboardist. Uh, three really? of the songs are co-written by Gene Simmons, including this one. Now, listen closely to this. It might sound familiar, but this is a tune called Nasty Nasty. I'm 
That sound familiar to you? Just a little. Just a little bit. A little Sounds bit like that like... ZZ Top song. Oh no, that Kiss song. <laughs> Domino. Now I know why I don't. I never liked Domino, and a lot of people uh, call me crazy for that. But now I know why. I like Domino a lot better than Nasty Nasty. I'll do you know? You where, do you know what happened to Black and Blue? Uh, they're. Uh, I know Tommy Thayer's in Kiss. Well, they're now history. Ah. Uh. God, that was an annoying vocal i'm sorry <laughs> some people love jamie st james and I, ugh. yeah i think that sucks i'm sorry and, yeah i'm not a big <laughs> i don't know gene simmons did not give these guys the same advice they gave keel about cool logos and album covers obviously. no <laughs> no their album covers weird it's like a hand dipped into acid with skeletons and triangles and it looks mm. like a yes album cover or something it's weird i should call it no uh, August 20th in 1986, the phrase going po- postal is coined after the Oklahoma mailman kills several of his co-workers on, yeah, the, on the job. Shows up, just starts killing people. That was big news back then. I remember that. Okay. And that's that's where going postal comes from. Man, they should have done something about gun control. Oh, no, no, yeah, I don't even yeah. get started there. Yeah. Um, we've played a bunch of bands already, you know, Kiss-related stuff, a lot of stuff that was very 80s stereotypical <laughs> rock. Yeah. Now I think it's time to step it up for a moment. And here's an album, a song, uh, and the whole thing. You're going to love it. I'm talking about Motorhead Orgasmatron. It's their seventh <laughs> studio Great album. Great album name. Great album name. <laughs> the cover is amazing the, with the, the train with the head on it, mm-hmm. with Motorhead head. Man, that's yeah. killer. Uh, there are four piece Lemmy on vocals, Wurzel and Phil Campbell on guitar, Pete yeah. Gill on drums. Go ahead and take a sample of this. You're going to love this one. It's hard to pick just one, but here's Built for Speed.
I was born with the hammer down, too. <laughs> Man, I love that album. It's heavy. It's awesome. Like I said, hard to pick one song off there. They're all so good. Where's the keyboards? No keyboards <laughs> in Motorhead, damn it. This is 1986. Come on, Lemmy. That's right. Never. At least Lemmy can look back and go, nope, don't regret anything. Exactly. <laughs> you know? I mean, while these other bands, like you say, they kind of look back on this and are kind of, you know. Uh, yeah. What was the, I thinking? You know, yeah. the guys in Poison aren't going to go on tour dressed like they did back then, and neither is Bon Jovi or anybody else. You and know, I, Gray I, White, any of them. I shudder at the thought of thinking back to <laughs> photos of Lemmy in a sequin gown or something. Right. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't work for Motorhead. Could be Dazzle His Mole. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> but it works for the rest of us. <laughs> Speaking of the biggest band in the world in 1986, well, one of them anyway. This is a uh, this is a first for the Decibel Geek podcast. We've never played <laughs> anything by Bon Jovi on this show ever. We haven't, have we? No, I, we mean, I know I never picked them. You never have either. Because, well, here's why. I'm I like it. Screw it. I I admitted to Juice Newton. I'll admit to that. <laughs> I like I like Bon Jovi. Yeah. I always have. I'm I, not so much the newer stuff. I mean, they've They've really gone super adult contemporary with the last few albums, but yeah. back in the '80s, I mean, they they I mean, "Slippery When Wet" came out in 1986, and there's a great guitar album. You know, you you can hate on John's hair and his smile all you like, but Richie Sambora, Richie's a hell of yeah. a guitar player, and um, there's some good stuff there. So get, if you get past your initial impressions about the band being a teeny bopper group, and they were, and they sure were. You know, as a lot of these bands were back then. Yeah, but Slippery When Wet was a huge album. Yeah, it was. I mean, I had the cassette tape for this, and it's funny, because I've mentioned in the past about how my brother made fun of me for liking Kiss right. during the Crazy Nights era, and he's the one who gave me a live and said, listen to this, you'll like, it be you'll like this better. Right. So he's Mr. Integrity back then. Who do you think turned me on to Slippery When Wet? Well, it had to be the older brother. My brother. Yeah. <laughs> he gave me his cassette tape. and it, Well, I actually borrowed it from him and never gave it back. <laughs> but um, this came out August 18th, 86. And, I mean, most people know the facts about it. As we mentioned on part one, this was the album that um, Bob Rock came into his own as a big name. And, right. uh, you know, for his sound and everything. Produced by Bruce Fairbairn also. You know, huge name for the 80s uh, albums. Spent eight weeks at number one on the Billboard 200, named the top-selling album of 1987. So this came out later in the year, so it wound right. up carrying over. You couldn't go anywhere without either seeing a video or hearing a song from this album back in, in 86. That is the truth. It was everywhere, literally. And um, it was huge, and it, it burned a lot of people out. And I'm not about to play something that I'm not going to play You Give Love a Bad Name. I'm not going to play uh, Living on a Prayer. No Bad Medicine? That's New oh, Jersey. that's the next one. Get yeah, your Bon Jovi right. facts right. straight. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so um, now that my reputation's been ruined, let's play a little bit of uh, Social Disease, and we'll be back after this. you 
All right, everybody, exciting news. We finally did it. We finally got the Decibel Geek store, a merchandise store open, and T-shirts are now here. Oh, nice. They're here. Like, right here. They're right here. Let me let me see one of those. What do you think? Man, that's awesome. Look at these. Check out the colors. They're so bright. This is awesome. These well, shirts are awesome. Look at this thing. Take a look. Well, I can look at it, but they can't. It's an audio podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they can go check it out for themselves at the new and improved Decibel Geek website. That's right. The site's been overhauled, decibelgeek.com. Just go there. And we're now taking pre-orders for the T-shirts. So for the next few weeks, we're doing a giveaway. And all you got to do to be entered is leave us an iTunes review. Just go to the iTunes store, type in Decibel Geek. It'll bring us up. Mm -hmm. Type up a review and a five-star rating. Leave that review. Email us at decibelgeek.com. Put iTunes review in the subject line and let us know what your iTunes username is. And boom. You are entered to possibly win the very first Decibel Geek shirt. Because, see, we have That's these... That's not nearly as complicated as you make it sound. Probably not. <laughs> but um, we have these shirts here. But even Aaron and I will not wear one until we have given away the very what? first shirt. That's the rule. Self-sacrifice. I was just about to put it on. I had it up over my head. No, no, no. you got to wait. Okay. Best way to find out all the details, if you didn't, if what I said didn't make any sense, go to the website. Go on the right-hand side. You'll see the little picture with the guys with the shirts on. It says, write a review, leave a shirt. Mm -hmm. Click on that. You'll get all the information. So we're going to take those reviews until February 19th, and then on February 20th, Aaron and I will we'll do it. put a, on our shirts. We'll, we'll do, put on our shirts. We'll do a random drawing, and we will pull out the name of the person that will win the very first Decibel Geek shirt. Nice. That shirt will be mailed out within the next day or two, and then a week after that, around the 27th of February, all the pre-orders that we have gotten will be shipped out. So... Go ahead and order your shirt, and if you end up winning and you've already ordered your shirt, you will either get a refund or you can add a second shirt to that order free of charge on us. Sweet. Can't beat it. Free shirt from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And, of course, also on the new site, you're going to find the little donate button down on the side. And, you know, maybe you can't afford a shirt right now. Maybe you want to help us out anyway. You can click on that donate button, and I want to remind you, Geek of the Week can be bought. Payola <laughs> is alive and well. All right, so thanks for helping us out. We appreciate right. your support. And Back uh, to 1986 Part 2? That's right. All right. All right, we're back in 1986. This is Part 2 of us looking back and letting you know what was going on. Been fun so far. Yeah, pretty good so far. Good stuff. Um, let's talk about what's going on in TV in 1986. Would be like the debut of the Oprah Winfrey show. Mm -hmm. um, also debuting in '86, the show Perfect Strangers. Remember that one? <laughs> Balky. That was funny. Uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Talk, yeah. about, talk about things that were huge. You know, Pee Wee's Playhouse was a big deal back then. I mean, that was mega popular. Watched it every Saturday. Yeah, me too. It was great. <laughs> um, Elf. Elf yep. was awesome. Uh, Double Dare. Double Dare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. that. I always dreamt to be on Double Dare. You know, and like, awesome I was like, be. do you want the question or the physical challenge? You always do the physical challenge. Right. right. Yeah, for sure, because it's more fun. Yeah. And uh, the debut of the Fox Network. Yep. They didn't really take off till 87, but they debuted in 86 with the uh, Late Show with Joan Rivers. Mm-hmm. It was funny. I was reading <laughs> about that. Long. There was there were certain affiliates around the country, like local channels, that would they would pick up Fox with the option to not carry the Late Show with Joan Rivers. Why was she that controversial? She was just that bad. Nobody wanted. Oh, her. Okay. ratings were. Shitty. I remember reading something. There was like <laughs> there was a whole bunch of tragedy around that show. Really? Yeah, it wound up getting. There wound up being like six different hosts of it. Like she right. she quit her own show, and then yeah. it just became a, a mess. Um, also in '86, remember Warlock? 
Dor- yeah. Doro Doro Pesh. Pesh. Yeah. They have their uh, first success outside of Europe with the single Fight for Rock off their True is Steel album. That's a good album. Yeah. Yeah. There's some good, good stuff. stuff I like Warlock. Um, I've got one for you. Here's a good one to check out. Talking about Great White in 1986. Uh, their second album, Shot in the Dark. It's an independent release, but it's what got them signed to Capitol Records. And for a good reason, because this album is killer. Yeah. Uh, 1984's self-titled debut, was it was heavier. It was more like Judas Priest. Had keyboards. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. it's, it's 86. Yeah. On this album, they find uh, their heavy blues rock sound that they become more successful with. Which they would get huge with. Yeah, really this. huge. Make a lot of money doing, you know, sometimes it just takes a band finding their niche, you know, finding what they're yeah. comfortable with. And this is Great White, and they're comfortable with this one. I'm comfortable with it, too. Great song. Check it out. It's called Face the Day. Kick-ass album, Shot in the Dark from 1986, Great White. Yeah, check out that earlier Great White stuff. Because a lot of people didn't become aware of them until the Once Bitten, Twice Shy right. thing. But some of their a, best stuff was some their Some really good early stuff. material. Yeah, Jack, good friend of the show. Yeah. We got a Canadian Geek of the Week. We got Canadian writers on the uh, website, www.decibelgeek.com. <laughs> if I don't mention Triumph in 1986, I might get in some trouble. They come out with their eighth album, Sport of Kings, yep. produced by Mike Klink. Yeah. Who would go on. He was a busy some, guy in those days. Some big stuff, yeah. At this point, Triumph's pretty much falling apart. Yeah. Nothing, I don't know. I don't know a ton about Triumph, though, no. so I'm not going to pretend I stuff. do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, although I I will say I, we haven't had a big call for playing Triumph, no, so I don't feel I too bad not. about not playing anything off of it. Um, just covering my ass. That's cool. With my Northwoods brothers. <laughs> um, speaking of 1986, Synthesizers, here's another band that I never thought. <laughs> Would get into the keyboardy sound of 1986, but they did with this one. Iron Maiden, yeah. somewhere in time. Sixth studio album released September 29th, 86. Released on EMI and Europe Capital and in, in the U.S. Uh, this was the follow-up to Power the Power Slave Live After Death album and um, first album to feature guitar synthesizers. But, Yikes. Uh, I think they did it well. I mean, um, I guess they, I mean, they, they did it as well as a, as a heavy else. band could. Right. Although I dug the keyboards back in the day, so what do I know? But um, it's uh, been certified platinum. A lot of people think this was kind of the beginning of the end for the like the great era of Iron Maiden. Um, yeah. Some people say that album before it was the end, but I don't know. I think I had somewhere on time and on a cassette tape. I had tons of cassette tapes, 
And this was definitely one I picked up purely because of the album cover. Oh, I didn't for sure. I, I knew Run to the Hills, but I didn't. Uh, I knew what I saw on MTV, which was pretty much Run to the Hills. So you know, that's that's what's cool too. You know, 1986 has got a lot of cool album covers. The artwork was really important back then. Oh yeah, it was huge. Now it's just a tiny little box on right. iTunes. I, but, I uh, love them uh, 80s Iron Maiden covers. Yeah, I do too. But there's a, a lot of good stuff, and I remember the video for Wasted Years came out, and yeah. it had like you know the compilation of all the artwork and stuff. Yeah. And I remember I had it on videotape, and I would watch it back and pause it and stu- it, you know, every few seconds to see each picture because it was running nice. so fast. Yeah, I'm sure and, I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and Wasted Years is an amazing song, but uh, I didn't want to go with that because it's kind of an obvious choice. Right. It was the big single off of it. But this is a great track off of uh, Somewhere in Time. This is Sea of Madness. <laughs> Who do you think was the dominating presence in the band after hearing that clip? Uh, I would guess Bruce. Musically. Musically? Steve Harris. Oh, yeah. Isn't he always? Yeah, the bass is like three times louder than the guitar is. Well, and I was going to say this, you know, (laughs) in the time of synthesizers in 1986, yeah, Iron Maiden's using them, but at least they're down in the mix. You know, they're not like up front like a lot of these bands are doing. Added flavor. You never, ever, you should never have keyboard in the band to begin with. And if you do, never have it louder than the guitars. Good lord! I don't know. I I have I disagree. Really? I I don't know. I I'm a guitar guy first, but right. I mean, but for the time, keyboards were fine. I mean, I I just I think, but they were a fad. They weren't going to last. Yeah. I mean, I guess I under I, I don't appreciate it now because it makes everything sound cheesy and dated to me. <laughs> but back then, it sounded but fresh. Back then, you got to remember this technology is all kind of new, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody's jumping on using it because. It seems like here's this new thing that we can use to enhance our music yeah. to make it even better. But, you know, in retrospect, it just kind of dates well, it. Because, like you said, it was just a fad. Yeah, but, I mean, and it sort of goes along with just technology in general. Like studio musicians, everyone was using a lot of electronic drum pads. Right. They were using every effect possible. And, uh, you know, and then you had Pro Tools come in and everyone's doing everything digitally. Now... After you peek out on the technology advances, then you realize, well, we were getting some really good sounds off of analog and without all of the effects and just right. organically. For sure. So I guess you have to sort of go to the extreme before you realize how great it was to begin with. I guess so. Yeah. If you say so. Not to get philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was deep. 
Uh, talking about bands that are kind of following the trend in 1986, Alice Cooper's back yeah. with his 16th studio album, Constrictor. Yeah, he, he woke up. It's, yeah, it's his first <laughs> one since 83's Dada. Which he doesn't remember even making. Right. And it's uh, <laughs> this one actually gets to number 59 on the U.S. Billboard charts. The last two albums before this, Dada and uh, what's the one before that? Uh, I think it was Zipper Catch yeah. No, Zipper Catch yeah, yeah, Skin. That's it, Zipper Catch yeah. Skin. Um, they didn't the even spot. crack the top 200. <laughs> yeah, well, he was, gosh, the early 80s period for Alice, like, there was some strange experimentation going on, which produced some great songs, but if you look at video footage of him from back then, man, talk about somebody that was in the twilight zone of alcoholism. Right. Bad off. So he comes back in 86, and he's, you know, ready. He sees, I think he sees what Kiss is doing. He sees yeah. all these other bands and says, Alice Cooper should be doing that, too, and, you know, being successful at it so he recruits kane roberts yeah he said i needed i need rambo on guitar. i need rambo on guitar <laughs> i need giant muscle man with a machine gun electric guitar what a and, weird look and kip was. winger yeah kip, if i yeah, if kip i could winger. have those two things i could come back and and i would be back on the charts i know it interesting yeah interesting album not one of my favorites of his but it was nice that he actually you know came out of hibernation and cleaned, right. up, cleaned up to do it sure and he's been and all music ever since, so it's a good thing. He also contributed music for the uh, Friday the 13th Part 6 oh, soundtrack. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, that man, is not, a good Man song. Behind the Mask. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a great song. Uh, you can't talk about 1986 without talking about Rat. Yeah, Rat were coming into their own around that time. Yeah, they were. They were just coming off their... Uh, well, 86, they come out with Dancing Undercover, which is their third album, a follow-up to 85's Double Platinum Invasion of Your Privacy. Oh, yeah, that was the big one. Now, yeah. this one, it's not quite as successful as it's as the predecessor, but it still yeah. goes on to number 26 on the U.S. charts. Produced by Bo Hill. Bo Hill produced, like, almost everything they did, yeah. I think. Alice Cooper, Have you seen Warren that uh, Behind yeah. the Music, the Rat one? I'm sure I did. There was a lot a of a uh, lot of tension between the Rat guys and Bo Hill. Yeah, a lot. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a taste of something off Dancing Undercover. This is called Slip of the Lip. Yeah, Rat pretty much owned in 1986. They used a little synthesizer too, but not yeah. too much. I miss not that. I really miss Rat. I mean, I mean, the last album they put out, Infestation, was good. I don't. Yeah. I just miss when I'll, miss all these bands playing big arena shows. You know. Well, and then you know, goes from that. Rat releases this, and then they headline a tour. Get this. Imagine going to this show in 1986, or maybe some of our listeners did. The headliners, Rat, opening up for them is Poison, Cinderella, Queensrÿche, and Vinnie Vincent Invasion. That's an interesting mix. Yeah, what a what a cool day of music that would be, huh? Yeah, 
I didn't know Vinnie Vincent opened for. Hmm. Yeah, according to my research. Interesting. I, didn't I know might that. be wrong. If I'm wrong, you know, you guys and, can always point well, it out on the Facebook page. <laughs> and they will. Like you like to. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Queensryche cool is a weird opener for anybody back in those days. Right. Because they, yeah. they had their own sound. They're the one that's kind of out of the mix in that, I think. Yeah. Our friends um, Mitch and Mike from uh, the Dropping the Needle show interviewed uh, Jeff Tate recently. Yeah. And he had some really good, interesting stories about Queensryche opening for Kiss on the uh, Animalized Tour. Oh, I can so, imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, check that out if you get a chance. Um, also in 1986, Lizzie Borden releases his second album, uh, Menace to Society. Wish we had time to play them all, but we don't. Um, I know. We could make a six-hour episode. How about this? Saxon comes out with their eighth album, Rock the Nations. Those guys are still going, putting out albums today. This features Elton John on the songs Northern Lady and Party Till You Puke. Say that again. <laughs> Elton John. Elton John with Saxon. Pl- plays on a Saxon album called in Party 1986 on a song called Party Till You Puke. I have to hear this. Well, we'll have to, maybe one day in the future, we'll look back to what we were playing back in 86 on the Decibel Geek podcast. My head, I, I would imagine I'm, that my, would he- my brains are scrambled after hearing <laughs> Elton John <laughs> and, and Saxon. Saxon did a song called Party, Party Till, Till You Puke. puke. Uh-huh. That's wow. That's confusing. We have to dig up that song okay. and play it one day soon. <laughs> um, also coming up, stuff in '86. Ingve Malmsteen, the guitar virtuoso, releases Trilogy. Talk about awesome album covers. Ingve <laughs> battling a three-headed dragon armed with only a Stratocaster. Because dragons are afraid of guitars. <laughs> Hell yeah, they are. Oh, Ingve uh, Melmsteen plays all guitars, all the bass. He's the engineer. He's the producer. This actually goes to number forty-four on the U.S. charts and stays there for thirteen weeks. That shows you how how big the shredding guitar, you know, trend really was back in those days. Everyone loved the fast guitar players. Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> um, tough news in uh, September on uh, the twenty-seventh on their European leg of their Damage Incorporated tour in southern Sweden, yeah. uh, Metallica bus crash that kills Cliff Burton. You know, the famous story, they, they didn't like the sleeping arrangements. You know, some had bunks, some had crawl spaces, it seemed like. Yeah. Uh, the band draws cards to see who gets the bunks and who gets the cubicles. Burton wins by drawing the ace of spades and tells Kirk Hammett, I want your bunk. Wow. Yeah. If Kirk Hammett would have been there, he would have died. Uh, Burton's thrown from the bus, and it lands on top of him. And it took Metallica a long time to get through that. And um, Well, you know, as a matter of fact, it, was, it wasn't it was like a couple of weeks. They had to replace him. Yeah, they basically had no time to mourn. Right. They had to immediately start working on tour. Again. That was a yeah. massive tour they were on. I yeah. mean, it went all through the United States, into Europe, back through the United yeah. States, other, you know, other places I, in the world, and then back to Canada. I mean, it was a massive tour. I have an early, early memory. Uh, obviously, I was too young to go see them back back in those days, but I have an early memory of watching the news, getting ready to go to sleep, and they're saying, and here's a clip from Metallica playing at Municipal Auditorium tonight yep. and seeing the little crosses on the stage. I remember seeing that, and it was Cliff on the screen. Yeah. And so that, I, I believe it was Cliff. I could be wrong. Correct me, folks. But um, I remember seeing that, but I do remember when that tour came through Nashville. Right on. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at that and thinking they were in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and it wasn't that far from me, but I had no clue. I wish I'd have known. Yeah, well, I would have begged, begged this, somebody to take me. Yeah, I, this is before I really knew anything about Metallica. But right. yeah, that was a wow. That was quite a quite a story. So of course, then uh, died in 1986. Cliff Burton, rest in peace, and uh, Thin Lizzy's Phil Lynott. That sucks. Rest in peace as well. Two big losses. Uh, born in '86, Lindsay Lohan, Kelly Pickler, and Lady Gaga. Fuck you, 1986. All right, we knew that was coming. <laughs> also in October of '86, one of the 
biggest metal albums, one of the best metal albums I've ever heard. Thrash metal. Everybody says 86 was a great year for thrash metal. Damn right. Especially when Slayer finally releases Rain in Blood. Their third studio album, of course, Tom Araya on vocals and bass, Hanneman and King on guitar, and Dave Lombardo on drums. And man, does Lombardo kill it on this album. They all do, but Lombardo's just awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, musicianship-wise, Slayer's a great band. Hell yeah, they are. I still can't get into their music, though. Well, you know, with <laughs> this album, they get more serious. They have, like, more, you know, I always say Dungeons and dragons -y lyrics about Satan found on their previous albums. This album, those uh, weird, goofy references to Satan are replaced by something even scarier, songs about the world we live in. Tom Araya wrote some deep stuff back in those days. I mean... Yeah, he definitely. Uh, it was definitely thought-provoking stuff. But yeah, Slayer's not my cup of tea. But the song that we're gonna play is definitely a. Uh, it's a staple. Yeah, for sure. I love this song. Any song on this album we could play, and it'd be great. Um, we're gonna play this one just because it's so kick-ass. Raining blood, right here. If I wasn't awake before, I sure am now. I need a uh, bandage to uh, patch up this arm. I just carved Slayer's logo into my arm. You just did, right here in the it studio. Really There's hurts. blood everywhere. <laughs> um, accused of being Nazi sympathizers for the song Angel of Death about the infamous Auschwitz death camp doctor Joseph Mengele. Is that how you say it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to. No? Mangala. It's a, it's a, yeah. That's a pretty awesome song too. But yeah. uh, they denied the allegations. Columbia Records, the distributor of Def Jam, actually refuses to release the album based on the crazy lyrics and the crazy ass album cover. Yeah, some wild stuff. You sent me a funny video yeah. last night about with some, some fundamentalist. Well, it was job. like from back in the day when '86, like back when, like we said, you know, remember we talked about it in the last episode about protesting Kiss. Yeah. In, I think people Indiana wasted their time and, you know, on metal bands. Right, yeah. There was nothing, <laughs> like you say, nothing more important in the world going on in 86 <laughs> than the, the heavy metal bands corrupting our youth. And right. it, was, it was a big deal back then. Um, eventually, it gets distributed through Geffen. Uh, they go on a follow-up U.S. tour with Overkill. It's the first Slayer album to crack the U.S. charts, peaking at 94 and a quintessential thrash metal classic. 
if I do say so myself. It's up there. Now I'm in a mood for evil. What do you got up next? We're gonna, yeah. We're going to do Rock some, and roll. some striper. Oh, okay. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Well, we go mean, from, what a, wow, what a segue, huh? We go from <laughs> hell to heaven, right? Right, good. The that tour works. that everyone still wants to see happen. I, I believe there was talks at one time of there it was, actually going to happen. Slayer backed out. Striper was game to do it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, huh. But Slayer was like, no, we can't play with Striper. Why the hell not? I would love to see it. <laughs> Why the hell not? <laughs> but yeah, Striper in 86. Somebody should put that together in 2013. Yeah. So uh, Striper comes out with To Hell with the Devil. Yeah. And it was their third release. And um, Striper, if you don't know, was a Christian glam metal band, basically. Uh, Only the coolest Christian rock band ever. Yeah. I, well, you have to give them that. Yeah. And uh, we're all yellow and black costumes and um michael sweet and robert sweet sweet brothers on drums and vocals and uh the ladies loved them not just for their hair and looks but for their virtue as well (laughs) they would toss little bibles out to the people in the audience and um it's funny you know yeah when i first saw them on mtv though i didn't know they were a christian act because i mean that some of the lyrics were did i say act what am i from new jersey but um (laughs) some of the lyrics you know, you could take either way. They could either be about God or they could be just about a loved one, you know. So, right. So they they were accessible Christian rock at the time. And, you know, MTV played them, so it was kind of a big deal for them to get play on, on MTV. So, um, And I liked it. I liked, I liked all of this poppy stuff back in the day. But, you know, remember, I was 10 years old that year. Right. So this was sort of my uh, gateway drug into getting into heavier stuff later on. But I still can appreciate it. That's how it starts. So, it all uh, starts with the Casios. Exactly. And then on to worse. So we're about to run a break, but before we go, here's a little bit of Striper from uh, 1986. Decibel Geek Army? You slimy scumbag, get on your face and give me 25. Join us on our fan page at facebook.com slash decibelgeek. Simultaneously in New York and more than 150 other cities and towns, Hands Across America showed a commitment to the hungry and homeless and showed the organizers their work was worth it. All right, folks, we're in the home stretch of 1986 Part 2. Welcome back to the land of thrash metal, hairspray, and Casio synthesizers. 
It's a strange combination. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. This was a confused time for music. (laughs) (laughs) It was a confusing time for everybody, especially (laughs) bands like Cheap Trick. They released their ninth album called The Doctor. It's considered to be the worst Cheap Trick album. It is the worst Cheap Trick album. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, since the album quickly went out of print, the original CD... Mm-hmm. That was the very few of them made is actually considered a collector's item. I believe it. Well, if the, you can, so if you can find that, the band themselves tried to bury the album. Like within yeah. within like three months of going on tour for it, they stopped playing all the songs live from it. It was like they even they were embarrassed by it. I think there was Ouch. there was some drug issues going on at that time. I think yeah, yeah, I had to have been. It's just it's just a horrible. <laughs> it was the album. cheap trick drug. And album. I was telling you off mic. I, I just it, it came up on my iPod the other day, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna try it again. And I just I couldn't get through more than three songs. I was just like, this album is just horrible. It's just not like them. No, it's t- well. I mean, it's it's t- it sounds like them, but it's like them. It's like them at half speed or not half speed, but with a lot of half effort. It just sounds like they half assed the whole album. Yeah, huh. it's just not good. Uh, here's a guy having no trouble selling albums in 1986. Billy Idol releases Whiplash Smile. It's his third album. Goes to number six on Billboard. Is that the one that had the Moni Moni cover on it? No, that was before that. That was See? big. Now we messed that. up. We each messed up once. Now we're even. Okay. Well, um, I'm not a Billy Idol <laughs> aficionado. I know. I was, I was thinking about Bon Jovi earlier. Yeah. Um, hit single to be a lover was off of that oh, one. Oh, okay. Um, Steve Stevens on guitar, hell of a guitar player. Great guitar player. And uh, get this, I didn't know this. John Regan from Fraley's Comet on bass. Yeah, I didn't know that. He although he was kind of a hired gun for a lot of people. Yeah. He even played on some Stones tracks, I believe. Right on. So, yeah. yeah, Billy Idol pretty much ruled the eighties. Yeah, he was a big deal. Uh managed by Bill Coyne, who discovered yep, Kiss. That's right. Yeah. Um other bands coming out with stuff in eighty six. Sepultura comes out with their debut album, Morbid Visions. This is uh it's you know, in the time of thrash metal, this is a tough one to listen to. And right. as a matter yeah. of fact, years later Max Cavallero would actually admit the band didn't even tune their guitars when they recorded it. It shows. That's metal. They were much better a few years later. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Sam Hain, November, uh, come, uh, November Coming Fire is the name of the album. Uh, Glenn Danzig's Post Misfits Band. It's the last album they'll come out with before they just change their name to Danzig. Yep. Um, Guns N' Roses, Live Like a Suicide. This is pretty interesting. I didn't know this. Recorded in the studio mm-hmm. with live audience audio added in the mix to make the album appear live. Yeah. It'd be re-released in 1988 as part of GNR Lies. It's only like four songs, isn't right. it? Right. Yeah. That's weird, though. And they two said, of them are covers. Right? Yeah. They said they couldn't afford to actually go do a live album, <laughs> record that somewhere, so they just used that. Well, you know, you can't take money out of the heroin budget. Right. You know? So. <laughs> we haven't signed our big deal yet yeah, at this, this point. Yeah, this was before, this was probably around the time Paul Stanley was considering producing them. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Paul Stanley's like, you guys can't afford to record a live show. Can you imagine what <laughs> Appetite for Destruction would have sounded like with Paul Stanley production? I shudder to think. I would think, yeah, he would have brought in at Keyboards. this point. He would have brought in a keyboard player <laughs> for sure. You know he would have. You yeah. know he would have. Desmond Child would have been it. co-writing with Axel. It would have ruined it. Either oh, that yeah. or it would have been even bigger than uh, it was in I a different love, way. I love Paul Stanley, but he would have ruined that album. Guns N' Roses <laughs> would have been like the next Bon Jovi if that were the case. Axel's not How pretty terrible. enough for that. No. Yeah. Um, of course, 1986... You know, no doubt about this one. I got this. This is great. Everybody loved this album. Beastie Boys, Licensed to Ill. Oh, I wore this tape out. Yeah, me too. Number one debut album. First rap rock album to uh, top the U.S. charts, yep. featuring Carrie King of Slayer on No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Yep. Produced by Rick Rubin, who that was the connection between the two at Def Jam. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, what's not to like? It was it was good good rap music, but it included samples of bands like Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Stevie Miller, CCR, ACDC. I mean, it was very different. From that its appeal, time. It's, it appeals to everyone in a different way. Oh, I loved it. I, Me too. I used to have almost every lyric on that album memorized back when it came out. Hell yeah! And I hate too. rap now, but I loved that. I can, album. you know, I don't like rap either, but yeah. I can still listen to that. The no old problem. stuff I can because it seemed like there was a little bit more effort put forth. Right, you know, it wasn't just talking about bitches and guns and stuff. So I mean, I I enjoyed it. Paul, Paul Revere still is one of my favorite songs. Yeah, hell yeah! I love that song, Brass Monkey. Yeah, heck but we're yeah. not playing any Beastie Boys on. No, this not today. We've done it before. We though, have played so. them, but we're gonna keep moving. We've got a lot of music to give you samples of here, and uh, it's your turn. Well, we we're talking about Cliff Burton passing away in Metallica earlier. Uh, how about Megadeth putting out Peace Sells But Who's Buying? I love this album. Fantastic album. Love it. And, um, you know, it was their, their second studio album released September 19th, 1986. Uh, originally handled by Combat Records. There's another small time label for yeah. you. you know, well, Meg- it's another Megadeth example. Just, just, footing. just like Ray White, where they, you know, came out with the independent release and got noticed because of it and picked up. Somebody did a list called A Thousand and One Albums You Must Hear Before You're Dying. It was on that. I'd, yeah, <laughs> I would agree. I agree with that for sure. It was a great album. You know, and um, Listen to it a bunch of times before you die. This was the last album with Chris Poland on guitar. Yeah. And, I, and you can tell because you know, I know Dave likes to switch in people in and out of the band. And, and, and he's done it successfully to a point. But this era where they had... Um, uh, was uh, was Gar Samuelson still with them at this point? I yeah, believe he was. I believe so. so Gar and Gar and Chris together came from a jazz background. Yeah, and they brought that sensibility to the band. Like they took, I think they took more risks back in those days, and I like that. Mm. But uh, Megadeth was not just a carbon copy of Metallica. I, no. th- I, I they were definitely they definitely stood on their own ground. Yeah, for sure. And they stuck to the heavier stuff when Metallica kind of went a little different. Yeah, they didn't. Megadeth always sticks to their guns. Yeah. So, um, but I, you know, hard to pick one song off here, but, you know, you got to go with the title track, Wake Up Dead. Not title track. Opening track. And that's from the album Wake Up Dead, But Who's Sleeping? That didn't mean title track. I meant opening track. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. But uh, no, that's... Freestyle podcasting here on the Decibel Geek. Yeah, freestyle. (laughs) Another word for mistakes. But... uh, yeah, I love that album. That's, a, yeah, that's me awesome. Too. It is hard to pick one, but I think I would have picked the same song. Yeah, it's, good. it's a great one. Um, also in 1986, Wasp comes out with uh, Inside the Electric Circus. <laughs> third, the third rock record, right? Right. It's uh, considered to be, uh, I think, Blackly Lawless called it his least favorite Wasp album. I don't know why. I, I don't, don't like agree it, with man. that. I thought it was a good record. I, I did, too. I, did. I, I had it when I was a kid. I, I remember listening the hell out of this one, this too. This is uh, before Steve Riley went on to play with L.A. Guns. Right. This was his last one with him. Um, Chris Holmes on guitar. He does a killer job on this album. Johnny Rod on bass, and as you said, Steve Riley before he goes to join L.A. Guns. They do a couple of covers on here. I Don't Need No Doctor by Humble Pie and Easy Living by Uriah Heep. Totally blown away the originals. I, I don't know about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, for Easy Living, I don't know about I Don't Need No Doctor. I don't know. I love the or- early Wasp Humble does Pie. it pretty awesomely. Wasp does great cover songs. Yeah, Always they do. has. Uh, other standouts on here, Nine Five Nasty, Shoot From The Hip, but I'm going to give you a taste of this one. It's called The Rock Rolls On.
lot of rock and roll anthems happening in 1986. Yeah, it was kind of the era of the gang vocal anthem. Yeah, for sure. Um, great album. I love that one, Inside the Electric Circus. You know, we talk about Canadians, and uh, we want to feature something Canadian here. I've really been listening to a lot of Killer Dwarves lately. From 1986, I can't think of a better representative. Yeah. And, you know, we interviewed Russ Dwarf last year, and we're definitely going to have him on again. Yeah. With better sound quality, we promise. <laughs> and we were still getting our footing back then. But, uh, man, the Killer Dwarfs, just a, a band that totally got overlooked by the American audience. And, you know, those of us that actually were clued into them love them. Right. But um, totally deserved more attention than they got. Um, there's not even a Wikipedia page for the album that came out that year, Stand Tall. That's insane to me. I, That's a great album. I'm going to have to write one. Somebody ought to. I mean, all you can find is the Amazon, which, you know, there's a lot of glowing reviews on Amazon for right. it. Of but, course. Uh, you know, and yeah, the, this band, you know, they used a little bit of keyboards, too, back in the day, but they wrote a lot of good melodic stuff. Russ has a great voice and a, yeah. a great sense of humor. That was what I liked about the band. They didn't take themselves too seriously. They were always, you know, kind of a co comedic act at the same time. But um, good playing, good songwriting, and uh, this is a track called Believe in Me. Yeah, I feel blessed that somehow, some way, I had that when I was in. Oh, did you have you it know, back in the day? As a kid in '86, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I can't think. I was just sitting here thinking, who got me that album? Where did that come from? I have no idea. Well, I guess growing up up north, you maybe you were a little it was bit issued. closer in proximity. Yeah, it was that. issued to us in northern <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin. You're close enough to Canada where you you get it. So right. But yeah, Russ Dwarf, great guy. And um, stay tuned, folks. We may be doing something with Russ in the future this year. Yeah, possibly. We we've always talked about it. getting him back on the show for in some form, way or another. Possibly so. in person too. Really? Yeah, we're gonna try to bring him to Nashville. Hell yeah! Yeah, let's do it. That's a little teaser for you. Sweet. Um, also in 1986, Mike Tyson Mania kicks off. He wins his first world title. He was a big deal. This is before he started yeah. biting people's ears off. Right, yeah. Mike Tyson was mass. <laughs> Everybody loved that guy back then. He was still somewhat normal back then. <laughs> Beating people's brains in. Was it Trevor Burbick was the first? I think so. Yeah, yeah. The, I think I... Yeah, no, it wasn't. There was, a, I think, it was Michael. You remember Michael Spinks? Yeah, he was a bo he was a pretty good boxer, and uh, my dad paid for the pay per view. Me and my brother, and my dad are watching it, and like everyone was swept up with Mike Tyson back then, right? And the Don King and all sure. that. And we, my dad, must have paid like fifty dollars or something to watch this fight. So we get on, we get our popcorn ready, and everything. <laughs> like thirty eight seconds into the fight, boom, hits it's Michael over. Spinks. It's over. Yeah. Knocks him out cold. 
Yeah, I remember that. Me and my brother were, were loving mad. it, and my dad was pissed. Yeah, I, I just paid all that money for that. I remember for people making seconds. a big deal about what didn't they give him something? You know, extra like the something. I don't remember. I just or remember. they just say <laughs> Don King say that's chance you take. I don't. Pay-per-view. I just remember it was over with. Like right as we were getting settled in to watch it. <laughs> wow, it was a total ass whipping in thirty eight seconds. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I remember Mike that. Mike Tyson, man, what a boxer. Well, one group I wanted to play on here, and I'm not the biggest fan in the world, but um, as I've gotten older, I've appreciated their influence more. And because um, I have a lot of friends that are like, oh, this band is amazing. I'm talking about a group called Bad Brains. Mm-hmm. And th- this is their third studio album that came out in 86. There's an album called Eye Against Eye. It's wild to me that Bad Brains is having their third studio album in 86. Right. It doesn't seem like they've been know, around for a long time. Yeah, they've been around longer than it seems. Yeah, and um, you know they they were definitely a different type of group, and you know they mixed a lot of different styles together, and you know sort of just came up with their own sound. You know, and I've tried to get into them more as time goes on. I, you can't deny their influence, and I, the reason I want to play you know part of this track is because this is like. Uh, I mean, this is definitely almost a view into the '90s. I mean, when you hear this, you're gonna you'll be able to hear a little before a little bit time, of like right? early alternative stuff being done in 1986. So, I gotta give a tip of the hat to them for that. This is a track called "Secret 77." So it's a little kind of like a little old school clash reggae-ish thing, yeah, but then also I, I can also hear a little bit of like uh, where Allison Chains got "Love Hate Love" from. Right. You can hear you can hear how they influenced the grunge movement, and, and they kind of showcased the bass a little bit more than a lot of these bands. Yeah, were it was doing less guitar time. heavy and no keyboards. Right. On. <laughs> so yeah, no keyboards. Yeah. Hey, we're on a good roll. Yeah. <laughs> um, formed in 1986, some of these bands: M.O.D., Prong, Zodiac, Mind Warp, Sacred Reich. Alice in Chains. Yep. But wait, Al- Alice N Chains, as right. in like Guns and Roses and uh, Black and Blue. And that was the style they were going for back then. Totally. I mean, look at pictures Some of funny Alice pictures. N Chains. You would never believe it's the same band. Yeah. Um, Goo Goo Dolls and No Doubt. I only mention them because, again, they don't seem like they've been around. They were that formed long. in 86. 86. I didn't know about No Doubt um, being that old. Yeah. Also, uh, King Missile. Remember we talked about King Missile? Oh, yeah. the detachable, detachable penis. penis. Not too long Greatest ago. Greatest song ever written. Um, the Offspring, the Rollins Band, um, Faster Pussycat, and Skid Row. Yeah. All yeah. formed in 1986. Interesting. Now, we've played a lot of good music today, but as always, there was some shitty stuff going on in 1986, <laughs> too. Um, talking about the top five singles. You can almost guarantee the top five singles are not going to be rock songs. Uh, number one was Falco with Rock Me Amadeus. 
you know, and rock I, me on my days. Did right. you know I used to misunderstand that? Really? I used to think he was saying hot potatoes. Rock me hot potatoes? Yeah. Well, like, hot potatoes, <laughs> hot potatoes, hot potatoes, hot potatoes, hot potatoes. Now, next time you hear that yeah, song, now I'm gonna think let's that. think about it, and you'll hear it. Well, hopefully I don't hear that song anytime soon. I think it's better as hot potatoes. I agree. <laughs> Uh, number two, Madonna, Papa Don't Preach. That was huge. Uh, number three, Europe, The Final Countdown. I love uh, that album. Huge song. Back when it came out. That was the that was the thing right there with the synthesizers, how yep. huge it made that song. That oh, song. Yeah. Because that was the main hook was the synthesizer lead-in. Yeah. And you could hear it and get it caught in your head. And Oh, it would really get stuck in your head. In 2013, <laughs> it still gets t- stuck That's in your head. That's an album that has not aged well at all. No. <laughs> Uh, number four, Berlin, Take My Breath Away. You remember that From one? Top Gun uh, soundtrack. Yeah. And uh, number five, Pet Shop Boys with West End Girls. <sighs> so, you know, it wasn't all it wasn't all Slayer and, and uh, me, Vincent. Just in our world. Yeah, yeah, just in our world. So, And that's what it's about here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. So that is your look at 1986 Part 2. Pretty exhausting look at the, at the yeah, year. We dug, we dug deep for this one, but that's what it's all about because we enjoy doing it because we learn and get smarter. And then every episode gets a little bit better because we're learning and we're absorbing more. Yeah. And in the meantime, you guys reap the benefit of just kicking back and listening to it and enjoying and it. And one of these days, we'll actually know what we're talking about. Yeah. It, it may take a while, but yeah. eventually we'll get there. Well, we won't mess up at all. I'll know all my I wouldn't bon make Jovi. that prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be a Bon Jovi fan. Right. Yeah. All right, well, we got a playout song. I'm going to let you have it this week. What do you got? All right, just want to remind everybody once again before we go, oh, check yeah. us out at www.decibelgeek.com. That's where you'll find the everything. new episodes, everything. All the articles, all the good stuff the guys are doing for us there. That's our home right there. That's where you can find us the best. That links us to everything. Right. You know, you can find everything from there. From there, you can go to Facebook, check us out there. That's where we get our Geek of the Week. That's where the discussions all happen. Yeah. Um, Good stuff, fun stuff, and that's what it's about. Follow us on Twitter. We want to build that Twitter following. And also, leave us a review on iTunes. I know. As I mentioned. Yeah, a bunch of you guys are listening right now on iTunes when you're done. Go leave us some Leave feedback. us a review. Please. There could be something in it for you in the future. Yeah, really soon. Really you know, soon. If you get the jump on everybody else before so, we even tell you what it's about. So soon that you might have already heard it in this episode. I don't know. Huh. Maybe. We're a little out of time. We're Maybe. in 1986 after all. But we'll be back next week. we got some cool stuff coming up. I don't think we're going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to either wait till the last minute to decide or just not tell you and it'll be a surprise. Either could be way. huge. Could be. We could be interviewing John Lennon. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a Ouija board. All right on. Well, we'll give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, playout song for this week. Man, we can't do 1986 without Tesla. Tesla is an awesome band. This was their hugely successful debut album for Geffen Records. It goes to number 32 on the U.S. charts. The song I'm sure everybody's heard, Little Susie, was their popular single. Oh, yeah. They actually, this is pretty interesting. They go into the studio with the name City Kid yeah. and come out as Tesla. Much better um, name. <laughs> lumped in with a lot of the bands, their contemporaries of the time, the Rats, the Poisons, the Cinderellas of the of the era. Yep. But not really like those guys at all. No. Tesla, very different. Yeah, not a hair band. As you'll find out, hard rock metal band, you know, they, they've walked the line between both. It's all good to me. We'll see you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed 1986 Part 2. Going to close it out with Tesla. Easy come, easy go. See ya.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 